Hey everybody, my name is Bob, and welcome to the Late Night Playlist. Go ahead and grab your favorite adult beverage and get ready to talk about the album of the week with my friends and me. Let's get started. All right, so so let's talk about Roy Orbison. All right, and, let's do and, it. And try to segue into Brett's ass every once in a while. Ah. So, so... Roy Orbison. Well, first, first, what's everybody drinking? Wild Turkey American Honey. Wild Turkey American Honey. Tom, you got a streak going on, don't you? Probably do. Yeah, I think I think that's like the uh, fourth show in a row now. You've had Wild Turkey American Honey. You, you bought stock in it. Yeah. Yep. I, I do have other stuff. I drink it every once in a while, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Amen. This is Woodford Reserve on one rock, and uh, that's a smoked rock. So it's a smoked ice. Yeah, it's tasty. Mm. Is it uh, a flavored smoked ice? Uh, good question. Uh, so Holly's got a uh, little smoker that she she smokes the ice. And this, uh, boy, I'd hate to say what it is, but it's uh, very aromatic, very mm. smoky. Very cool. pleasant. Awesome. Sounds I'm like drinking fun. this Sazerac rye old fashioned tonight. Sazerac nice. rye old fashioned. That's that's like a man's man drink there. <laughs> I am not a fucking savage. I'm telling you right now. Right. Yeah, well, we've said it before. <laughs> Our spiritual advisor is not a fucking savage. And, <laughs> And I am I am drinking another uh, Kentucky Vanilla Barrel Cream Ale because uh, very nice. I like the uh, I like the last twelve pack, so I got another one. Excellent. It's high praise. That sounds good. Yeah, it is good. It's pretty tasty stuff. Well, I wonder what year? Roy liked to drink. Oh, sorry, Tom interrupted you. I was going to say, I, what what year did that? get released roy orbison it, it got released in 1988 the year we all what uh bob and i graduated right or at we least, were all told, seniors at least told everybody we did well <laughs> we were all seniors that year we, we that? were all seniors that year yes some of us in the first half of the year some of us in the second half of the year exactly yeah correct so yeah, yeah, and some of us in the inf- the full year, right? <laughs> so, I'll tell you what that that album. Let me let me jump in. That that album was was amazing. Uh, so you know, I know we talked about me running and and listening to these albums and such, and. Um, I was a little worried because, you know, you don't think of Roy Orbison and a good pace and all that stuff, but man, when you, when you hear some, when you hear a group of musicians having a good time and laying down some good music, if that doesn't get you moving, well, God help you. Absolutely. Well, so was that a, uh, I know there was a film and and I had heard of the film more so than I had ever heard of the album. Was it a theatrical thing or was it a TV event or 
It uh, was the, recorded for Cinemax. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. It's incorrect? That's incorrect. It was okay. recorded for Skinamax. Skinamax. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was Maybe 1988, it, damn it. That was Skinamax true. back then. Yes, back then, yeah. They were, we're probably, probably trying to improve their trying image. To, they were <laughs> yeah. trying to transition their content. Because that yeah. was the only yeah. reason any of us had Cinemax back in the day was because it was Skinamax. Enough of the Manuel movies. Let's watch some Roy Orbs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. During during the day, they could play Roy Orbison when the kids might be watching. Now, now let's put Emmanuel goes to Hollywood, right? Right. Yeah. The one AM showing. Right. But yeah, no, it was it was recorded for Cinemax, so obviously they caught in the big talent for the recording of this and so was it a tribute or or because did roy typically have a band of that caliber or was it a special event so they brought all these guys in i don't know for certain i'm going to assume special event but i don't know this was towards the end of roy's career and actually he died like a year later yeah it, it wasn't was recording it wasn't he didn't plan to die, though. It wasn't like he no, was uh, no. uh, sick or anything. Um, 52 years old. Yeah. He, he had an appointment with the uh, the suicide doc, right? Right, yeah. right, no. yeah. No. Um, <laughs> no, he, he had, had a, heart like a heart attack he or something. Attack. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, I, I forget what this was. It was about something, and I can't remember it, and I don't think I wrote it down. It was about something, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a particular tribute to any anything that I thought was worth writing down. So it could have been really important or not. So this was probably like on the tail end of the whole traveling Wilburys phenomenon. It uh, was during. It was, it was during. It, was this it is during? the same okay. year that the traveling Wilburys started. They started. Okay, gotcha. Because the reason I ask that is because I think that's where I I didn't really pay attention or I I knew who Roy Orbison was, you know, but he was probably somebody I equated more with the fifties and old people and and uh, but through the traveling Wilburys is where I come you know I came to see him with with some other folks that I knew. Mm-hmm. I don't know so, uh, any uh, of the Wilburys are actually on this recording, though, oddly enough. No, no, they're not. No. So if you if you listen to, uh, I think it's called The End of the Line, uh, The Traveling mm -hmm. Wilburys, mm -hmm. um, they, uh, so the song was recorded with Roy Orbison there, obviously. And uh, if you watch the video, they have a rocking chair that's just rocking empty with a guitar in it. And yeah. uh, that's that's their tribute to him. So. Yeah, it was definitely very much definitely during traveling Wilburys. It was, uh, I'll tell you what's really pathetic. So, so I'm 51 and, you know, I remember when he died and I thought, well, that's okay. He had a good run, you know, he's 52 years old. Yeah, he doesn't seem that old now, does it? I mean, was no, that all no. he was? He was 52. 52. He, Holy you look crap. at him and he looks a lot older than 52, doesn't he? Yes, he does. <laughs> Old soul. 
Yeah. Yeah, so, I was surprised, but yeah, he's he's our age. Wow. So <laughs> so I'm now I'm wondering, was like Uncle Roy a, a partying machine? Was he stuffing coke up his nose or I don't know, but I haven't heard any stories about the wildlife. Not, everybody's been very quiet if the if that went on. Yeah, well, you know, back back when he was huge the first time, the fifties and sixties, they they were quiet like that though. Yeah. Yeah. And good on them. You know, they they did what they did and that's where it was. He could have just been born with a bad ticker, you know. That yeah. could be too. That could be too. Yeah. Yeah, I was amazed because uh I think probably the third or fourth song in, I'm like, shit, that sounds like James Burton on guitar. And then then when when Bob sent his note, I'm like, holy shit, that's that that was. So, so let's talk about that for a second. So his backing band on this was the TCB band, the Taking right. Care of Business band, Elvis which was Elvis's band. band. Right. right. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that, that might have been part of it. Uh, maybe it was, you know, something something for them. Yeah. I You know, I, I'd like to think that band was getting plenty of business, but. I did kind of look them up and yeah, they do. They apparently would break up and then reunite for special events and stuff like that. So this may have been one, one of those times when they reunited. And right. I was this an ad for it. They're probably paying pretty well, but you know, it's still, they probably just didn't reunite for anyone. Right. You know, it's, was this an ego thing for them or was it just, Hey, we all got a bunch of things to do and we'll get together every now and then. Honestly, don't know what the, I, well, I think the majority of those guys, their, their day to day was they were session musicians. Right. And of course, you know, when Elvis wasn't using them and they, I'm, I'm sure Elvis probably kept them all on the payroll, but when he fell off the toilet, you know, those paychecks probably stopped and, and, you know, these guys, went back to their session careers. Of course, you know, this is back in the eighties when the music business was very different and, you know, a, a person could make a living still as a session musician, because a good people, living. Yeah. people wanted to hear live musicians. Um, yeah. So I'm, I, I'm sure they had other things going on and, and, you know, Cinemax probably is like, fuck it, man. We got Roy Orbison. Let's open up the wallet a little bit and we're gonna we're gonna pay for something big. They wouldn't yeah. do that today. So you brought up Elvis. I gotta tell you, my first introduction to Roy Orbison was uh, of all things, my father-in-law. So we're watching Holly and I are watching the traveling Woolberries videos and and uh here's here's you know roy orbison and and uh and her dad said hey that's roy orbison i'm like wow okay so keith knows uh knows roy orbison and he said i'm gonna tell you something about about roy is elvis presley would not refuse to ever follow him on stage he said roy orbison had such a voice he had such vocal control that anybody that followed him was not gonna not gonna have that kind of control uh it was i thought it was a good story you know the elvis oh, would yeah. follow him up well i always so the other place that i had come across roy was at the the blue was it the blue velvet soundtrack oh yeah 
and then uh, what Bob? What was the was other? Alcohol and Drive, where there was they another... were singing one of Roy's songs. It wasn't Roy singing it, but it was someone else. I think he it seems like it was, was Mulholland and Drive. That was another. Hannah Danzig was there. Uh, another one of those darker movies might have been that, but I think there was another one with uh, some of the Brat Pack folks in it. And but I always had this. I equated Roy with kind of this dark, you know, creepyish uh, atmosphere, but probably just because of my exposure to him. Well, if your exposure to him was through David Lynch movies, I can see why you would think I, that. I, that would that would do it. Yeah. 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 I don't think that was probably Roy's intent. I don't know for certain, but because I don't really get that when I listen to his songs i mean no. there's a, a lot of romance type stuff in his music and some a good old-fashioned requited some of it unrequited you know yeah uh, yeah i was gonna say good old-fashioned hornings yeah <laughs> which you know i got exposed to roy orbison because my father is a big fan of roy orbison shout out to my dad out there and so he listened to him i don't know that i quite appreciated him enough in my youth but my first really, really got into Roy Orbison is unfortunately a song that's not on this recording. It's one called I Drove All Night. Yeah. That yeah. came out later. And it may actually came out post his death, if I re recall correctly. And I, and I, to this day, still love that song. But that was probably my really, you know, my father obviously introduced me to Roy Orbison, but that was the one where I'm like, okay. And then I went back and started listening to the other stuff, you know, with fresh ears and new appreciation. Was that, now, Sean, was that a soundtrack cut? Because I've heard of that. Or yeah, was that like it, was, it was actually on an album called like Nintendo White Knuckle Scoring, but there was a video that came out that was pretty popular at the time. And then they released an album post-death, I think it was called The King of Cards, where it was like, like kind of half-finished stuff that he had done. And so a bunch of musicians went in and finished it up and released the final album. And I want to say it's on that one also, but I'm not 100%. So I just I just did the, the Google, and the other one, Life Fades Away from the Less Than Zero soundtrack. Less Than Zero. Okay, yeah, I used to have that soundtrack. Yep. I do. I, I actually went out and I think I ordered that on eBay or, or found it in a used record bin. Um, and awesome soundtrack. Yeah. It was a great soundtrack. That's where Danzig was coming from your association because it yes. was on that soundtrack also. Right. Yep. He's been on a lot of soundtracks. There's uh looks like 51 different movies and television shows he's been on. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, that's quite a few. So what was your favorite tune on this album? Oh, that's a tough one. So, I mean, he's got quite the, uh, quite the catalog that he's pulling from. I'll, I'll go with it first since I already know. Okay. Because, because, and we've already talked a little bit about this, but in dreams, because Heineken, fuck that shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> because blue velvet 
is one of the best movies ever made. Blue Velvet, okay. And they they play that incredibly weird scene where the guy who I can't remember his name uh, and uh, Dennis Hopper are are singing in dreams uh, on that stage, and uh, you know they halfway through it. He starts yelling, I'm going to fuck everything that moves. And they're, they're <laughs> doing all the weird shit that they do in the movie. Right. So that was uh, not necessary. That was not my introduction to Roy Orbison, but uh, uh, what a great movie. <laughs> That's the one that sticks out in your mind. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> well, just, it's such a, it's such a sweet song to be in such a weird place in a movie that it just, <laughs> It cemented oh, it in my mind, you know. That's kind of David Lynch's thing, right? Yeah, this, yeah. This weirdness amongst what would norm amidst the normality. So, and I'm I'm kind of leaning towards only the lonely, and I I know that's the opening track, but I, I find myself often on these type things. The first and la or last song is the ones I go with, and, and that's probably because I remember someone saying, "Hey, you always start with your bet your second best, and you end with your best." You know, sure. you give the give the audiences what they want and you sprinkle the rest in between. So only the lonely and just a wonderful song. And, but there's, you know, in dreams, obviously a great song and all kinds of stuff on here. I'll shut up and let you guys talk about your favorite ones. Brett. Mean woman blues made me laugh the whole, I was going to go there too. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> well, and the funny thing was, uh I, I when i saw the title come up i'm like oh boy i don't know about this i mean i don't know about roy orbison singing a blues, blues. <laughs> I, I was actually impressed and and you know i was gonna say the only the lonely and crying i mean i love those tunes but uh just kind of the surprise from yeah. the mean woman blues you know, right there with the running scared also you know so did he have iron maiden on some on stage with him <laughs> oh i'm running no free. It's running free. Of, that, yeah they were not one of the guests on this although there were plentiful guests there were a lot of people recording. in the band and a lot of people in the audience so you know iron maiden could have been there yeah might have so we mentioned that it was the tcp tcb band and is uh glenn hardin James Burton, Jerry Chef, Ronnie Tut. I mean, as the, the core backing band, and we look at the guest performers that also played with him, Bruce Springsteen, Elvis Costello, Tom Waits, Michael Utley, who's from, I know him best from Jimmy Buffett's stuff, mm -hmm. Alex Acuna. My apologies if I mispronounce some of that. There's Ezra, Ezra Klinger and Paul Pavel Farkas on violin. Jimbo Ross and Peter Hatch on Viola. And then Alex we got to the vocalist. What's I think, that? I think, I think Alex Acuna. Is he a drummer? Yeah, it's percussion is what it's listed as. On he here. was the drummer in Weather Report. For uh -huh. a period. Okay. Name sounded familiar. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry for right. The guest vocalist, J.D. Uh, Souther, Stephen Souls, Jackson Brown, yeah. Bonnie Raitt, Katie Lang, Jennifer Warrens. I'm, Sounds like the 80s to me. Oh. 
<laughs> All wrapped up in a seventies there. Yeah, a little seventies. And yeah. let's be honest, Roy Orbison's probably one of the few artists that could pull that group of talent together, right? How would you like to come play with uh, Roy Orbison? Right. You know, and be the backup singer. How okay. would you like a Beatle? How would you like a Beatle to ask you to join his band? Right. <laughs> you know. And, and <laughs> I, I'm going to say the Beatle that mattered. <laughs> I, I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> that's a... That's an audience getting tactic right there. I like it. <laughs> oh, T-Bone Burnett was also an era. Should have mentioned him as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> we, we ought to, you know, someday we ought to do, do something with George Harrison. I mean, holy oh, cow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he did some it's, great I stuff. Don't, absolutely. Have we missed this? I mean, Wow. You still got six selections out outstanding for next next season. <laughs> I can see all things must pass being on there. <laughs> so we talked about the Wilburys, and I think I'd heard a story before where they were kind of putting, you know, the band together, and someone's like, "Well, you know, we need someone else." Well, I'd like to have someone like Roy Orbison. And one of the guys said, "Well, let's call him and ask him." And they're like, "Roy Orbison's not going to do this or something," you know. Lo and behold, they called, and sure enough, Roy Orbison is more than willing. Thank God. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I can see that being a Bob Dylan call. Uh, could have been. Could he might have been the only one that had the gravitas to do it, you know? Yeah. I don't remember who it was, but yeah. Some, you know, Bob Dylan would probably have known Roy from back then. I mean, all of them should have known him. Oh, yeah. I, I think. past where they. Yeah. When you're talking about Jeff Lynn, you know, George Harrison, uh, I mean, you, these guys know everybody. I mean, there's yeah. there's no doubt, no doubt about it. You know, and Tom Petty wasn't exactly a slouch back then either. You know, uh, exactly. So was, right. That dude had all kinds of hits in the 80s. Right. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. You, you, know, you back never to know. Black and white night. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I just. Yeah, hey, you never you never know. So back to Black and White Night, apparently where they recorded that for the video, because originally started it was going to be on Cinemax, and then they released became a hit and they released the album off of it. Apparently, where they had recorded it like a couple of days later had a, a major earthquake hmm. and did a lot of damage to the facility. Was that like Northern so, California? Yep, yeah, where was that? That wasn't that earthquake that happened in the Northridge earthquake that happened in the middle of that ball game, no, was it? This was a 5.9 in Whittier, Los Angeles, was where oh, the earthquake occurred. Be darn. Yep. It was recorded at the Ambassador Hotel's Coconut Grove nightclub in Los Angeles. So, so okay, this is weird because they actually list the people that were in the audience as well on this there's thing. a lot of famous people there <laughs> david lynch who we've talked about several times already right uh, billy idol patrick swayze billy bob thornton sander bernhardt and chris christopherson were in attendance so. well i'm gonna pull a brett here and i'm gonna say i can't believe we haven't done a chris christopherson thing oh that's got to be on the list one of his things gotta be on the list I mean, sunday morning coming down you know good album 
pretty much all the highway men. There should be at least something on their list, if not the highway men also at some point. I did see them in concert. As the highwaymen? Duke. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, Duke what, on. Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, who else? Waylon Jennings. Waylon. Willie Nelson. Was Willie in there? Was that? It, it was one of those that I, we didn't really want to go. Mom and dad drug us. But now looking back, it was a great show. It was Huntington or Charleston, mid to late 80s mm-hmm. time frame. Yeah. I, mean, I could be wrong. I'm pretty certain Willie was one of the the highwaymen. It it seems yeah. like it, but it's been it a long was, time since was, I thought about the highwaymen. So it wasn't as good as like seeing Wasp. <laughs> you know what would have been good show? The highwaymen opening for Wasp. Boy, that would have been the crowd, wouldn't it? That would have oh been a God. good show. <laughs> oh my what, God. what actually could have worked. And he was not a highwayman, but if you had David Allen Coe opening for yeah. Wasp, that oh, could have worked. That might have worked. Yeah, that might have worked. That, that would have worked. Yeah. So yeah. The, the highwayman, I pulled it up. Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, Willie Dels. So, yeah, it was all four. Well, and then I saw Willie. I saw Willie in concert at Connor Prairie in Indianapolis north side of indianapolis uh between fishers and noblesville little outdoor arena most intense concert i've ever been to in my life walked in that son of a bitch came out had trigger it was two and a half hours of solid gold Hmm. i mean just hit after not a break just just bam but you know it was like punch counter punch right in the face the whole goddamn concert Loved it. Yeah. Wow. Willie Nelson and the family band. Nice. I saw an interview with his guitar tech um, maybe a month ago, maybe less. uh, And he he had Trigger with him. And he was just, uh, you know, talking about how how Willie let him do things, certain things for Trigger and would not let him do certain things for Trigger. And how he wanted to make certain repairs. And Willie was like, you go to hell, you know, you're fired if you do this sort of stuff. And so it was interesting. I want to be that guy that Willie pays to go out and scour the country for Martin N20 guitars and then gets to take a pocket knife and and carve a hole in them to match (laughs) triggers holes. I'm kidding. I'm sure there's only one trigger, but Bob, I think I saw that video too. This was like the Stuart McDonald guy or something like that. Stu Mac who. Yeah. He interviewed that guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And basically it seemed like Willie's philosophy was just don't let it fall apart, but don't, you know, don't mess it up either. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it together, but don't, don't mess with it. (laughs) And, and not to get too off track, but I'll tell you, you know, Willie is probably way high up there on my list of favorite musicians, much less guitar players. I mean, that guy can, I could sit and listen to him all day, play that, you know, Django esh jazzy lead on that nylon string martin 
Now, Willie could pull together the kind of band and attendance that, you know, Roy Orbison did here as well. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, that, and probably the... in his 50s, too, he could have done it, you know, like yeah. early 50s. I, I have to assume that any musician alive, if Willie Nelson calls you and says, hey, I need you on stage. <laughs> you're there you're there you, you show up right <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right. you're learning tunes all weekend yeah <laughs> no, no matter what kind of band you play in you're dropping it you're going guys i gotta go willie said so yep willie called not, not to bring us down but um willie's sister who was in the band passed away recently so um oh, sorry to hear bobby, that. To bobby sue but yeah and so Lucky enough to see her and the rest of the band with Willie a few years back. Right. I bet it was a good show. It was. It was a lot of fun. We were really close to the stage. So it was. And I remember him after the show signing stuff, just like hanging around and like signing stuff for people. And yeah, it was wonderful. But so I'm so, going to ask you guys a question. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I ask this all the time about live albums, so you guys know what's coming. Uh, did you get a sense that this was as it sounded if you were right there that day, or did you get a sense that maybe there was a little work done after it was recorded? I'm going to go under the belief that this was pretty much as it was because of the caliber of the musicians that were involved in the thing and yeah between i gotta that, imagine they put everybody together for some practice sessions yes. before for and, and i was actually yeah. thinking about that while i was listening to it it's like okay what was the prep like did did roy show up and you know in in my mind i gotta imagine roy actually showed up and hung out and played with this band in preparation for this big special and between what Sean said, the caliber of the band and the production team, I'm guessing what we heard is pretty much what they pulled off the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I tend to agree. I mean, you, taking apart the, uh, the famous folks that, that showed up and did whatever, um, the TCB guys, one, they're, they're top quality studio musicians. So their day-to-day -day life, they don't get paid if they fuck it up the first time. Yeah. Uh, and then they were working for Elvis for a long time. And working for Elvis is a lot like working in the studio. You messed it up. Well, don't bother to show up tomorrow for a rehearsal because we already replaced your ass. So, <laughs> so these, guys, these guys were, they were top of the line. So I, I, I doubt there was, you know, there, there might've been some, uh, some, you know, shifting and mixing and stuff like that. But I, I doubt there was too much magic that happened. It's yeah. possible since they know they're recording it for TV that if they were going and it messed up, like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Let's, let's go from the top again and do it. I can see that definitely right happening, but. You're, you're kind of saying it may have been more like a music video kind of, of thing places, rather. Yeah. But yeah, it, it could have been, uh, but they also had a live audience. Right. So, and you don't want to get run, to run, 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 put up with a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Even if they're famous, you don't want to be there for 12 hours 
waiting for the last song to get played. <laughs> yeah. So, so this concert was, you know, less than two hours long, guaranteed. It looks like, I was going to say, it looks like with the TCB band, they, after Elvis died, of course, they got back together in 79, 81, and then this was the third regrouping of of the band for the Roy Orbison special. Got you. It reminds me of a story uh, about Bruce Springsteen because he's famous for not really having a set list when they go out and play that they just kind of call audibles out there and having seen him in concert see what he does people have the signs and he'll pick signs and you know and then he'll flash them to the band while they're getting ready to play and someone asked him so you know if you don't have the set list how does the band know what songs to be ready to play and he's like I pay them to know how to play all of them yeah. you know yeah <laughs> that's uh, when you're dealing with these session musicians, yeah, they probably said, hey, we're going to do this and know the Royal Orbison catalog. And, and they learned it. Yeah, there's a pretty good chance of that. Yep. So now we mentioned earlier that uh, that Tom and I graduated from high school and and Derek and Brett were in the 12th grade. At yeah, the, we didn't at graduate the, at the end. Well, you guys tried, <laughs> and you did it the next year. Tried real hard. You tried real hard. <laughs> we tried real hard. Yeah. So, and 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 other things, but I I wanted to bring up a couple of things because uh, about 1988 when this happened, because people might not remember some some things from 1988. I don't remember much. From I, I don't remember a whole lot from 1988, <laughs> but I I found a couple of things that were interesting about it. Uh, number one, the uh, the California Raisins. Do you remember that commercial? Heard it through the grapevine. Yeah. Heard it through the grapevine. Yeah. That yeah. was the year it debuted. Alice Cooper, if anybody remembers this, Alice Cooper almost died on stage because a gallows prop that he had set up almost hung him. It malfunctioned, and he got stuck in it and almost died on stage. Everybody thought, probably thought it was part of the show. Yeah, a lot of people thought it was part of the show. Uh, yeah. And, of course, the band wasn't paying attention to him because they played through all that stuff. Oh. <laughs> Here's an important one for all you political junkies out there. Sonny Bono became the mayor of Palm Springs, California. In I remember that. Great. Wow. When did he start skiing? <laughs> Sometime after that. God. he took his first skiing lesson (laughs) too soon he never had time to ski when he was a singer and a a tv show guy but then after mayor well share wouldn't let him exactly had plenty of time now (laughs) i I don't know about you guys i've been to palm springs many times in my life uh never been i used to live very close to there uh so used to drive down to palm springs on the weekend uh and and do unspeakable things but this was long after Sonny bono was no longer mayor there so uh sometime when we're not on air i'll probably tell stories about that and then the uh the the last one that i had uh is from tampa florida so it's almost your territory there brett uh a man in tampa florida sued motley crew 
because he said that he had been hired to pose as Nikki Six and tour the country with them and play bass for Motley Crue and play on one of their albums, but wasn't paid by them. I tend to believe it. <laughs> I, he, he dropped the suit a couple years later, but. Probably got paid good. He, he may have. I don't know. He I didn't got look into that. Good. He might have gotten Crue was still good. wearing like all the makeup at the time and stuff like that also. I mean, it seems like 1988, it seems like they were still wearing like they had like the. the that would have been stuff, between yeah. theater Face pain and, and girls, like, girls, girls, right? Like, like the Susie and the Banshee looking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because theater so, of pain was when we were in. Uh, that was high school. High school. Yeah. And then, you know, what was the what was the big song off that? Uh, that was the like, piano thing. I remember yeah. that. Home sweet oh, home. Yeah, yeah. Home sweet home. Okay. Sweet home Alabama. Yeah, that's was not sweet home Alabama. <laughs> no, 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 sweet home Alabama. That's Motley Crue, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got you, Tom. Something you, you reminded me, or Bob? Sorry, you, you reminded me of. Uh, you guys remember the Who? Uh, and and uh, Keith Moon had one of his uh, horse vitamin. Uh, events where he, <laughs> he, he yeah he, he collapsed and who uh, hasn't yeah who hasn't exactly kind well, of daily thing okay. and uh, well so so what? there was a person in the audience remember the who got this guy from the audience out there to play play and, drums uh, right yeah yeah play drums uh, keith moon's drum set and, were those and, the same horse vitamins that were queuing during COVID? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sorry, there's different horse vitamins there. So, so wait, I haven't nah. heard this story. So, so dude's drumming, and he just Keith he, Moon. He passes out. Yep, took a handful of handful of stuff. Yeah, horse vitamins. That's literally what right, he right. called them. Right, and, and, and so he falls over. And no joke, uh, Pete Townsend uh, says, okay, can anybody out here in the audience play drums? And there was a guy that had, had been in a band and he was up front. He was, he was you know, near the front row. And his buddy started saying, hey, he can play drums. This man can play drums. And, and Pete looked at him, he heard him and he said, okay, but he's gotta be good. And the guy said, he's good. He's damn good. You got to get him up here. And, and this guy wanted no part of it. But, but finally, they dragged him up on stage. And Roger Daltrey, Pete Townsend, they both, they both said, okay, look, we're going to cue you. You know, you're, you're going to hold the time on these songs. And, and, but we're going to cue you when it's time to, you know, tone it down and, and we do a guitar solo or whatever. And, uh, and, and that's the way they played. So the first song they did, after Keith Moon's, you know, removed and revived, uh, uh, they said it went actually really well. And then the second song, I guess, you know, I think the nerves were starting to get to the guy. And you could do a lot of things when you're in complete shock, uh, which I think this man was. And then he started thinking about it, and I think that messed him <laughs> up a little bit. Uh, so the second song, I guess, it wasn't so hot. And then eventually the Who said, okay, no, you know, we're, we can't go on without a drummer. So, so they called it good. The Who always claimed that man as a former member from that moment <laughs> on. 
he was a former member. Look him up. I can't remember the name of the man, but, but how cool is that? You know, that's, that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Yep. Good Does for him. Royalties. I'm just saying. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, he died. When he died, the Who put out a uh, a memoriam for him and called him a former member. I mean, they yeah. were they were full on, you know, supporting this, and uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, good for so, them. So yeah. on their website, they list other than or on not not their website on Wikipedia. Okay. They list other than John Entwistle and Keith Moon. They list Doug Sandum and Kenny Jones. And let's see. He okay. So Doug Sandum was the first drummer with the Who. Okay, so Wikipedia hasn't picked up this guy, but I totally believe it, just because I he think was... most of the guys in the Who are stand-up guys. I did a quick Google of it. His name was Scott Haplin, H-A-P-L-I-N. He was 19 years old and up on stage with the Who. Now, how cool would that be? That's awesome. I mean, 1974. That's okay. I think he got invited to the party after the show. Just ask. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I would doubt it. What year was it? 1974? 1974. And he was 19 years old. The drinking age would have been, what, 19 at that point? Oh, yeah. Right. So, but he was sober. I mean, like, you know, he was much better off than Keith Moon. No, I know, but (laughs) I'm talking about the after, I'm talking about the after party, you know, the the party. That's, uh, Uh, yeah. If they were, is there a, is there a uh, age requirement for horse vitamins? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I see it. God helping. Very, yep. It must be true. It's on Wikipedia. <laughs> I gotta give Keith Wikipedia is on the credit. internet. So I gotta give Keith Moon credit. Like he said, horse vitamins. Whoever thought about giving their horse a vitamin? You know, <laughs> that's that's pretty creative. It's out of the box thinking, right there. Gives them that nice shiny coat. <laughs> yeah, you want them to run fast. You want them to have a shiny coat. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, we're pretty far afield for Roy. Yeah, I think this is exactly where we need to be about Roy. (laughs) This makes perfect sense. So, okay, I'm going to ask you guys a question. And this is an honest to God question. And don't think I'm dissing Roy. That's not my point. But how many Roy Orbison songs do you want to listen to in a row before you put somebody else in there? I had to break this into like three listenings. Yeah. (laughs) I did. And it wasn't because it it was plenty enjoyable. There wasn't a stinker song in the bunch, but you know, there's only so much of the kind of the crooning you can take. So I'm out on my run and I thought, okay, you know, I, I got it. I got Roy. This is Roy. And, and Roy's very talented, but by God, you know, like I, I got to do something else. <laughs> I bet you were getting some looks. (laughs) No, no, not on this road, man. I'm the only one out there. Me and a a stray dog, and that's about it. (laughs) And even the dogs are running away from you. That guy's sad. Dogs were away. away. (laughs) I don't know. I listened to the entire thing. I I guess I'm my dad's son. So what can I say? uh... I can't do it. It's not Disney. 
I, I like every song on there. No, no question. I like every song on there. It's just, I can't do them all in a row. I'm like, Tom, you know, I got to break this up every, every third or fourth song. I got to do something else and then go back to it. And then I'm good. But yeah, but you know, I'm that same way with like a Nick Cave album or, or anybody that has that distinct of a right. voice. And it, it, it was funny because <laughs> I was trying to imagine Roy. Could Roy have ever been in a band? Not not playing with a band. Could Roy have ever been a member of a band? I don't think he could. He was too unique. I agree with you. Yeah. You're talking. I think, I think his his vision or of the music was a little different than most people because Probably. I remember seeing a special on him saying, you know, there's one of the runs and one of the songs that goes, you know, 15 and a half measures. You know, it's right. like, what, what, you know. Right. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't that, but it was like, whatever that you know it didn't oh yeah it didn't end on the measure and it just threw people for a right. loop because they were well especially you think when when he was first getting popular you know he, he's out there talking about crying you know and All right and that's really not the uh the popular thing that guys were doing at that point in time do you think the chicks were digging him <sighs> oh yeah I don't know. I do. I do. Maybe, maybe in 2022, but uh, in 1950, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, well, it, and, and maybe there wasn't such a visual connection back then. Right. And, and the visual didn't matter as much. I've heard this story before, too, that he had broke his glasses before one of his shows. Mm-hmm. So he put his sunglasses on uh, and went out and played. People thought he was blind. I always thought <laughs> he was blind. He wasn't blind. No, 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 he was not. He was hard. He, you know, he had eyesight issues, but he's not blind. But I think, think he kept he the was... sunglasses after that because people thought he was blind. And I wonder you know. if he was bagging chicks out on tour. Was this guy? You know, was he was he uh, right. taking advantage of the rock and roll lifestyle? I, I couldn't tell you that because I, I don't know what his home life was like or anything like I that. I know why else? Why else would you be in music if not for the sex? Well, <laughs> well, the drugs. I mean, come on. <laughs> but uh, um, I read I read a little bit about uh, his his personal life. He was married. Uh, you know the song Claudette. He was married mm -hmm. to Claudette. Well, uh, that's uh, okay. Uh, for a for a period of time, uh, they were married. Uh, he was he was out on the road, and they don't talk about what he did out on the road at all in the uh, in the bio. There, what they talk about was she she had a, a boyfriend or five uh, while he was out on the road. Okay. Uh, so so they broke up. Uh, and they she they apparently married Claudette. Yeah, yeah. They they broke up. They got married very young. Uh, he went out on the road, uh, had kids. She was all alone with the screaming kids, you know. So uh, he was gone. She was bored. Blah blah blah. Um, was she the pretty woman? Maybe, maybe. But after like a year or two of being broken up, they apparently got back together. 
Oh, she must have had something going. She had something going on. And then uh, a few years after that, they like to ride motorcycles, apparently. And a few years after that, they were riding motorcycles and she was riding her motorcycle and she rode it right into an open car door and died Ooh. instantly. Well, I, I tell you what, oh. if a chick would have cheated on me five times, she, she probably would have hit a car door too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We got violence on the show. Oh man, this took a turn, didn't it? I'm oh, just man. saying. I'm just saying I can empathize. Tom's working on it. We're getting uh we're getting viewers on this one. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Claudette, watch out. <laughs> oh, as Steve Earl said in that last one that we recorded a few weeks back. The divorce didn't take. Got, the divorce didn't take, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Claudette, she ran right off the road. <laughs> Somebody had to say it, right? Right. Well, I don't know how you how you go from that one. That was a good one. I think. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, gentlemen, I think I think this has been a good show. Let's let's call it a day. <laughs> and cut. Hey, everybody! Thanks for sticking with us through our discussion on Roy Orbison's Black and White Night. Come back next time when we talk about Hendrix in the West. What a great album that is. Until then, put your pants back on, and I hope all your late nights are good ones.